Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, I run Strength Guild, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. That's about it. Oh, hey, this is Dr. Mike Nelson, uh, creator of the Flex Diet Certification, and now the Physiologic Flexibility Certification, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, instructor at Rocky Mountain University, and leaving South Padre, Texas today. Right on. Just driving. Yeah. Just safe Yeah, safe we driving. drove down. We ended up staying a few days longer just because of everything that's going on in Minnesota, and we figured there's no no need to rush back. So the day we're going to leave, we right. called the guy, and we're like, hey, how long can we stay in our current place? He's like, till Saturday. I'm like, done. <laughs> <laughs> how long can we milk this? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, okay, everybody, we are we're going to cover the topic after the break of dealing with work exhaustion during your training. So we'll just offer some tips what we've seen ourselves and other people. I can tell you, I'm I'm exhausted after this mm-hmm. semester. Um, we got a, a handful of iTunes reviews that I did not get to last time. I'm not going to inundate you with those though. Um, the fall funds drive is going on, and I wanted to thank Fred. You know who you are. Um, this type of uh, you know one-off donation hugely sort of supplements our ongoing monthly supporters, which are always appreciated too. So, Fred, I'm going to send you some little hidden Easter egg gifts from around the ironradio.org website. Uh, if anybody dug enough, they could probably find them. But it's just some educational stuff, additional goodies. So that's appreciated. Oh, the... NSCA's Guide to Sport and Exercise Nutrition just came out. So um, we've been talking on the show a bit lately about how we just need more observations with like uh, ketone supplements and, you know, ketotic diets and all that kind of stuff. And I put some of that in the fat chapter. We did chapter five um, of that book. Bill Campbell is the the sole editor this time. But... um, yeah, there was some neat stuff. I, I, there's a lot to talk about with dietary fat in recent years, right? Because uh, we've all lived through low-fat era and then now into the low-carb. But, you know, we may have a lot of listeners that they've just they've almost grown up on low-carb, you know. And so what yeah. are the pros, pros and cons with low-carb, high-fat diets and all that kind of stuff. So that's exciting to see that out. It's green this time, the new edition. In fact, I'm not sure it's on the shelves yet. Um, maybe, maybe in mid-December? Uh, anyway... So that was that was fun to do. 
Nice. Um, okay, let's do a couple of iTunes reviews, and I won't bore everybody, but I didn't get to these last time, and they're all from the same batch, so I want to give everybody equal airtime here. This is from The Duke. He says, I've been a listener for a while, and I will probably never participate in a competition, but my overall knowledge of lifting and nutrition has grown tremendously. These gentlemen have a wealth of knowledge and experience that will help you learn to be smart about how you approach your training. So, solid from The Duke. Wow. Uh, we have Skinny P. Uh, I've been listening to these guys since I started chiropractic degree. Uh, I now am about to graduate. The information consistently is comparable or better than the information taught at the graduate level. The nerd parts of the show are presented in a scholarly-based style uh, based on peer-reviewed recent publications. Then we get the quote-unquote clinical perspective from a variety of top-level strength athletes. Uh, guests include all the top names in the industry, moderated by the host, who have become great podcasters in their own right. Listening is one of my favorite recovery day activities while I prep meals and wash my gym clothes. So Nice. <laughs> thank you, Skinny P. We have two more. Chendi20 says, I enjoy the fact that you get both the nerd and the lifter slash coach perspectives in a format that is entertaining and inform informative. And then lastly, love this podcast. This is by Chassis83372. Lots of symbols in there. I just graduated with my degree in exercise science and became a certified personal trainer. I've always loved fitness and wanted to find a way to keep up to date with the news regarding exercise and nutrition world. I just found out about this podcast to a professor and have been listening every week since. The quality of the information and the expertise on the podcast is top notch. I'd recommend this to anyone who loves fitness or just wants to learn more. So thank you to all you guys. That's appreciated stuff. Thank you. You're um, awesome. Thanks. We got a little, um, you know, we sent a gift to those guys. So we kind of bribed them to make a, we didn't tell them what to say. <laughs> Just say something. And, you know, Phil had those extra t-shirts, which were pretty cool. We still have some of those too. So it's a smaller pile now, but we still have a pile of those veteran lifter t-shirts. So we'll, we'll figure out a way to give those away as well. Uh, okay, two little bits of news here. This first one, I think, is a long time coming. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, over the years, even back when we very first started and, and Rob was around, we, were, we would talk about, like, why aren't we getting data on the really elite guys? You know, um, bone density, body fat. Like, these guys are... They're not even – they're above the 99th percentile, right? Like they're not even in, on any norm chart by any stretch. Well, Bill Kramer uh, – leave it to Bill Kramer, you know, Ohio State guys uh, along with some other universities here. Huge list of authors on this one. Jeff Volick, you might guess, a lot of others. Body composition in elite strongman competitors. So I thought this would be – because, you know, of course the strongman guys are just enormous – and, you know, let's just document these guys for, for human history here. It says the purpose of this descriptive investigation was to characterize a group of elite strongman competitors to document their body composition uh, of this unique population of strength athletes. So they collected data over five consecutive years. They used DEXA for body composition and bone mineral density and things like that. They rounded up, it looks like, 18 strongmen, average age 33, uh, body mass, 153 kilos. So they're big boys, mm. 337 pounds. Um, 
Body mass index, 43.5. If anybody's, if you're not familiar, you know, the textbook approach to this is I say, if you're in the low 20s, this is just weight for height, of course. Low 20s healthy, upper 20s is overweight, and over 30 is quote unquote obese. These guys are 43. (laughs) Um, It says they had 118 kilograms just of lean mass. So, oh, Jesus. yeah, ridiculous amount of muscle mass, mostly muscle. I'm assuming that is um, bone mineral density. This blew my mind too. 1.78 grams per square centimeter. Wow. So if you're not familiar, everybody, and I, I you, people could correct me, but I, I remember it's a right around 1.0 or 1.05 grams per square centimeter is normal bone density. Um Mine, the last time I checked when I was lifting much heavier, I was 1.3, so I was in the upper percentiles. But, you know, these guys are 1.8 nearly. Jesus. Wow. Now, uh, some of the highest I've seen in women were Olympic field hockey athletes. They were 1.25, I think. So hmm. really high for women. Um, but, again, you get these kind of explosive sports and ones that involve lifting and stuff. And you're going to see that, right, the mechanical loading and everything. Um these data demonstrate that elite strongman competitors are among the largest human male athletes, and in some cases, they are extreme limits uh, reported for body size and structure. Elite strongman competitors undergo a high degree of mechanical stress, well, there we go, providing further insight into the potent role of physical training uh, in mediating structural remodeling even in adulthood. Such data provide a glimpse into a unique group. So thank you, Bill Kramer and colleagues. Uh, there's also some neat stuff if anybody wants to find this here. Um, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. It starts off talking about the origins of strongman. They, they trace it back to 1977 in the World's Strongest Man show on CBS uh, and how it sort of evolved you know, with that as an influence and all that kind of thing. So, Ridiculous bone mass, huge um, muscle mass. Oh, body fat was about, it says 18.7%. So mm. with all that size, they're not... Yeah, not that bad. Bad, no. So, yeah, Phil, when you do strongman, do the huge guys come out, or are like, are you small compared to them, or no? In in your at your level of that, you're baby. Oh God, I'm tiny. Yeah, yeah. Like when I, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's no comparison. Okay. Like in my last, the last competition I did, I moved up and did heavyweight. And I was competing against a guy that was like six eight four twenty. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was six foot two fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only way I, I won a couple events, and that's just because I was faster. Okay. Um, yeah. So I had a big pull, and I was able to do like the farmers faster and things like that. So my movement was better, but I just got crushed. Wow. On anything, like limit wise. Yeah. We did heavy stones and max log, and it was just like that. Yeah, see you later. Bye. Right. <laughs> no, no comparison. Yeah, so, I just wondered if it are... if it was only like world class or oh, I guess it depends on, of course, what level of comp- competition. Yeah, you're in. I mean, now uh, you're talking like a local competition. Yeah, I'm, it's not that big. Um, but then you get the freaks, you know. Yeah. Like when I go to the Arnold, I'm in backstage, and you know I've got Brian Shaw and Half Thor, and it's like I'm a I'm a poop a child (laughs) they leave in the toilet (laughs) right they are ungodly huge oh yeah Uh, 
So, yeah, it's just yeah. fun to fun to see some documentation of that, you know, because I mean, we got to get this in the records, kind of, you know, in the scientific literature, so we can just point to that in the future about what's possible in a way, you know, human extremes. Um, and those kind of things are, I mean, obviously it's a trick to wrangle that many elite athletes, but you're doing a passive test that's a one-off measurement. That's like pretty feasible to do. It's not going to mess up their training. You're not yeah. like saying, hey, let's do 16 weeks of this training and you guys over here do this 16 weeks. You know, it's something that, like you said, you can document and it's an actual pretty doable study to do in elite athletes. Yeah, just an observation, really. Just record yeah. it. There's no intervention, you know. Right. Yeah, totally. Stop yeah. by for lunch. We'll do some measurements. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Free food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that'll recruit them. Free steak, something like that. And Guinness. Um, this next one here, intake of omega-6 polyunsaturated fats and vegetable oils and the risk of lifestyle disease. I just wanted to bring this up because over the years, I've often cautioned about Ex really excessive consumption of common omega-6 fats, you know, safflower and corn oil, the stuff that we love to fry potatoes in here in the, in the States um, as being problematic. But when you look at the literature, if you didn't, if you weren't familiar with the fat literature, you'd think that polyunsaturates were all one thing, whether they're omega-3 or omega-6. They just lump them together a lot of times, or a lot of researchers will say omega-6 are good for you. And I've always kind of resisted that we overconsume them they tend to be pro-inflammatory and that kind of thing but not all researchers agree i've had interesting conversations once even with jeff volick about this and he seemed to be much more pro omega-6 uh, pufa but in any case this is a japanese paper by yamashima and colleagues in advances in nutrition i just wanted to touch on a few things it says although excessive consumption of deep fried food is regarded as one of the most important epidemiological factors in lifestyle disease such as alzheimer disease, type 2 diabetes, and obesity, the exact mechanism remains unknown. So they're kind of after the, what's the linchpin here with these omega-6 uh, pro-inflammatory fats. But this review aims to discuss whether he heated cooking oil-derived peroxidation products cause cell degeneration and death uh, and how they link to lifestyle disease. Deep fried foods cook in omega-6 PUFA-rich vegetable oils like canola, soybean, sunflower, and corn oil already contain uh, or intrinsically generate hydroxynonanol by peroxidation. And I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. but uh, Anyway, it, it talks about uh, how this promotes uh, changes to certain heat shock proteins, and I'm not going to bore you with details. Uh, and this impairs the ability of cells to recycle damaged proteins and stabilize the lysosomal membrane. So we're talking about like the stomach of the cell, if you will. It says, here we describe the molecular implications of omega-6 PUFA-rich vegetable oils um, and how they bring about hydroxynonanol in, and lysosomal destabilization leading to cell death. By oxidizing heat shock protein 70.1, the dietary PUFA... Uh, peroxidation product plays a crucial role in the occurrence of different lifestyle diseases, including Alzheimer's. So um, just sort of reinforcing. And again, my bias is that omega-6 are so overconsumed, they're a problem. Um, but I suppose if you're, if you're consuming some kind of fresh sunflower oil, that I, maybe that's not as bad as something like, you know, living on trans fats and 
I don't know, whatever else you've got, all the kind of crap you see in deep fried foods, uh, you know, fast foods. But anyway, just sort of reinforcing that we vastly overconsume. I think the, the World Health Organization says we should consume like a, a four to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. Uh, and in the West, my, when I look, it's 17 to one omega-6 to omega-3. We just vastly overconsume this stuff. Um, Mike, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Maybe you're not quite as down on the omega-6 as I am, but we should have some balance here. Yeah, I do a lot of uh, blood spot testing uh, from Dr. Doug and his company. So I've been doing that for uh, eight or nine years now. So it's an at-home blood test kit that'll look at omega-6, omega-3, and literally all the other individual lipids. And I have seen in general, again, this is an incredibly biased population of people I'm testing because they seek me out. Uh, Most of them are not nearly as bad as what they used to be for omega-6 content. And then the next question down is, if I see someone who's high on omega-6, maybe they just need more omega-3, EPA, DHA, fish oil. Yeah. And then we can also then look at their dietary food records and see, you know, what are the actual sources? Like you said, are they, you know, mass-consuming soybean oil and corn oil, or is it, you know, other sources that might be a little bit more, quote-unquote, high quality than two? Right, Yeah. It's, it's just very messy. When you look at fat research, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. But like what you, when you do a comparison and intervention especially, what do you compare it to? What's your control group, right? Because yeah. if – It's a huge difference. Yeah, because you might say, well, maybe a monounsaturate is neutral. But no, those have their own benefits, you know? So are you comparing the anti-inflammatory omega-3s from fish oil to – straight corn oil you know corn oil was some of the early ones <laughs> yeah like what are you comparing it to it's really hard it really depends on the comparison yeah and it's a it's a messy subject but yeah i'm almost at the point now where i wondered that maybe comparing it to literally just a placebo pill that's encapsulated with water might be interesting just because it's like you said all the other ones have such different effects you're it's okay for a comparison between those two effects but you're you know, I'd be interested in just a comparison, just a baseline. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. When I was in, um, uh, it was Norway. It was the first com- international conference on CLA. And one of the first speakers, I really appreciated it. He just hammered home the idea. He said, first, let's be clear. All fatty acids have pharmaceutical-like effects, right? Each one of them has its own impact on your body. So that's one of the reasons that drew me to fat research early on. Uh, and that partly that's where this book chapter came from that I was talking about earlier is, you know, if you think about a, a cell like a water balloon, well, if you eat carbohydrates, it's, and I'm oversimplifying this, but it's sort of like you have sugar water going into the balloon, right? But when you consume different kinds of fats, the rubber of the balloon changes, right? They get incorporated into the cell membrane and they have all these sort of cascading secondary message effects in the cell and you know, the kind of fats you choose are a huge deal. I remember years ago, and I can't give you a reference on it, but they were looking at like a multiple regression model and what impacts blood pressure. And they were suggesting that your choice of dietary fat can be like a third of everything that goes into your blood pressure number, you know, systolic or diastolic. And I believe it. So it's, it's, they're potent interventions. The kind of fat you put in your body is a big deal. Anyway. And obviously the environment you're putting in too, do you have someone who's, you know, like most of our audience, metabolically healthy and lifting or people whose butt looks like a couch cushion? <laughs> right. Oh, no doubt. That's, that's nasty. 
<laughs> yeah, I've actually think I think that's why you see some when you see young kids get real sick with COVID. I've had a couple of students. I've got a lot of students out with COVID, um, and the ones, a couple of them, like, um, you know, I, I was just talking to my wife earlier. But if you're, if you, even if you're mildly active, but especially if you're not active, like you're saying, Mike, and you live on like burgers and fries and fast food and this very pro-inflammatory, you know, sugar bomb, omega-6 fat diet kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not surprised they have a massive inflammatory response and they get real sick. You know. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's pretty much it. So we're going to go ahead and go to break. When we come back, we're just going to talk about dealing with work exhaustion uh, while you're training. Can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. 
You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> Alrighty, we're back. It's Mike and Phil and Lonnie, like every week, and we are going to talk about how you deal with work exhaustion while training. I'm, I'm guessing this is a common occurrence. I'm feeling it in spades right now. Uh, this will probably drift into some other recovery topics that we've talked about ages in the past, but again, the focus here is not just like athletic recovery, but how do you recover, how do you deal with the fatigue and the, you know, stress and all that kind of stuff uh, and going to the gym. I imagine some people use g- the gym is actually part of the treatment for all that stress, right? But then if you have to perform at a high level, like Phil and his people, well, you know, damn, you're already under a lot of stress. Does that lower your overtraining threshold? Does the training make it worse in some way? Or So here's my first question. Phil, we'll start with you, but mm-hmm. any kind of proactive treatments you do nutritional physical um psychological to try to deal with work exhaustion so you can still move the weights um god i mean the biggest thing i do is programming wise you know we will we'll just back off you know and it's making them realize that um you know 80 percent might be your 100 percent today and that's okay mm-hmm. uh type of thing and anything we do is better than nothing so it's just getting in i wrote about this the other day on the radio show i mean we try to win every day at something so we'll figure out something you can win in um, and walk away happy you know because we're gonna have lots of days right now uh that you just you're just beat so it's like oh that's not there today okay well let's do this you've never done a i don't uh, just pull something out of my butt a sumo deadlift versus a purple and orange band you won, no matter what you hit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, yeah. Kind of yeah. So we'll just figure out things like that. And uh, you know, also probably reduce the days that we come in, um, depending on the person and the, the stress level that they're under. But like for me right now, I just know this is always my busiest time of year. So I do two things. I never, if I'm going to do a competition, it would be like last week by about November 15th. Um, and then I'm done. And or I won't plan one like I have one now planned for March, so I don't have to start getting ready for that until after the new year. So, uh, you know, we just plan around that and plan around people's schedules, and it's going to be crazy. So let's let's change. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, Mike. I'm I'm curious. I know you have a lot to offer on this from different perspectives, but because you you just wrote part of that, uh, you were one of the authors on that position paper for the ISSN with energy drinks and caffeine and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, 
what role would that play? I mean, your dissertation was basically on this kind of topic, right? I mean, do you just dump yeah. dump some monster and coffee on the problem before gym time, or is that a bad idea? Or what? What are your yeah. thoughts there? What I do with clients is I look at their just kind of their last training where they're at, their self report. I have luxury looking at their heart rate variability. So I'll look at the seven day average of it and then the last most recent measurement. And that gives me an idea of kind of accumulated stress because I'm doing stuff online. I don't have the luxury of watching them in person, even just like Phil knows, like their posture, their position, even tone of voice, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can, you can get a pretty good idea of where they're at right away. And obviously you can watch their lifts too. We're online. I don't necessarily have that luxury. So look at the seven day average of that in the last acute one. If it's acutely just low and their average is pretty good, I'm like, yeah, probably just suck it up, have a little more caffeine, get through it. Probably going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the averages start to trending low, like I had a client recently and he's okay with me talking about this. I've been working with him for over a year. So we've got daily HRV for a year. I've got a pretty good idea of what's going on with them. And his grandfather passed away and his HRV just went crazy. Like his stress was like just super high. Oh. Um, so in that case, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push him. And the interesting part is if you were to have asked him, he's like, I don't know. I feel kind of stressed. He's like, obviously, I feel really bad about it. But he's like, I'm probably OK to train. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, this is like the worst scores you've had over the last entire year. Huh. And that's even when we just beat the crap out of you on purpose. <laughs> um, so having something to reference it to, I think, is going to be useful. And if you don't have that data, I mean, you could just try the old trial and error. It's like and I've. I've done this before and it's worked well and it's blown up in my face too. Uh, I'm just going to get through today and then see how it is. And next day, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, that was good. That was a good call. Some other times you're like, that was a horrible decision. Um, And last part too, I think even during the session of just trying to decide if you're going to walk out of the gym or if you're going to actually finish it. So I frame it as kind of most training should be eustress, you know, stress you can generally recover from. And you will have some days that show up that's more distress of, okay, I'm purposely going to push myself today just to get through this, but I'm still not going to want to sacrifice the quality of my performance either. Um, And that's, that's hard versus, man, I did all my warmups. I did my first work set and there's just nothing there. And I'm just going to walk out and leave the gym. Yeah. Um, and last part, too, is people have had this experience where you take your normal amount of caffeine or pre-workout or whatever you're using and you feel like you still want to go take a nap in the corner. Yeah, you're <laughs> yep. you probably should do something else that day. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, maybe men are more guilty of this and I don't want to sound sexist, but yeah, just pour more coffee on the problem, you know, pour more energy yeah. drink and, you know, nothing's happening. Well, d- double the dose, bro. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah, that's sort of a going down a spiral, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's smart to have, like, I always have plan Bs for everybody, yes. um, distance or in person, and kind of set rules from the start. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I generally program very submaximal, and 
you know, my general rule is let's say, okay, it's a bad day. You know, it's, it's Wednesday. It's this day of the week where you do this. Um, they're having a bad day. Okay, that's fine. It happens. Generally, we'll just abort the plan and either leave if they really need rest or d- d- do something that's more proactive. If that happens again next week on the same day, you know, you had two weeks in a row. Now we need to make a change. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So because there's going to be bad days. I mean, Dan John talks about it in an eloquent way about, you know, like 90 percent of days or 80 percent of days are just normal. 10% are shit and 10% are great. And that's, that's pretty normal. You're going to have those 10% days that are just horrible for no reason besides being horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And so we'll just walk away, you know, and or just adjust from those. And then, But if that happens two weeks in a row, then we have a greater issue going on that we need to address. Right. I've actually so. seen, uh, at least from physical stress, we've tried to knock young, healthy athletes out of homeostasis before with just a, you know, one night of really bad sleep or even two nights or three, mm-hmm. uh, and other, other stressors. And they're pretty robust, but what yeah. both you guys are saying, this goes on one to two weeks, uh, especially yeah. if you can get objective yeah. numbers like those HRV numbers or lift numbers, you know, something that's not just uh, mood. Um, yeah, that's indicative that you're, yeah. you're kind of screwed. Um, well, there's also that tough situation. Like me, I'm mainly dealing with competitors. I'd say 95% of the people I deal with are competitive athletes. And at the same time, we have to have, there's no telling, like we can prepare for it as best as we can. Like 16 weeks from now, you're going to step on the platform at 10 Mm AM. What if that's a shitty day? Yeah. So we have to also be prepared to have those days and be like, okay, buddy, suck it up. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's We got to go. And we have to learn to go on a shitty day because that day for meat day might be one of those. Um, mm-hmm. Like last night for me, it was uh, normally I train Saturdays. Today I have to go move a bunch of equipment. So I changed. I was up at 4 a.m. yesterday, and I had to train at 6 p.m. last night. Not ideal. But, I okay, Phil, it's time to turn it on. We got to, you know you got to do this thing. So uh, I made it happen, but it's also knowing it's knowing yourself and knowing your clients enough that, okay, this is one of those days we can do that. There are days that it's like, nah, probably not a good idea to, you know, suck it up, buttercup, get under the bar. You're squatting 700. And like, there are days you just don't do that. And there are days that even at a meet, it's like, nope, not worth it. You're walking away. There's other meets, you know? Yeah. But you have to have, you have to, as an athlete, you have to also train for bad days. Like, okay, this is not my best. I'm going to turn it on. You know? So it's right. just it's learning those measures and being able to read yourself and read your clients. Like, knowing when to tell them to getting a vocabulary with your client and yourself to know when, okay, I can just, it's time to hype this son of a bitch up. We got to go. Or we're just pulling. We're pulling out of the meat because I yeah. don't want to hurt them. <laughs> you know, Phil, that's so. that's the wisdom that you really need someone like yourself who's been around the block, you know, to help the person make a decision. You know, no, I'm not being a wuss. I'm not being a wimp. I'm just, I'm, I got to walk away this time or I'm just going to have a, yeah. some kind of blowout or terror, exactly. you know. And knowing that it's not worth it. You know, there's another competition six months from now that we can right. do. Yeah. yeah. But, that's one of the biggest criticisms I get with HRV is people are like, well, what if it's red? If it's really bad, the day of like a big competition you've been preparing for, I'm like, well, one if that happens, in my opinion, that's a fault of the coach who didn't mm-hmm. prepare the athlete for it. And if I have enough time, like you said, Phil, I'm 
purposely probably going to have him train at least once or twice on a very bad or stressed HRV. And you're going to pick those battles pretty cautiously. Yes. Because if it's go time and it's a red, you definitely want them to win. Yeah. So that when the meat shows up, they're like, oh, my God, my HRV is red. It's going to be bad. It's like, well, remember that time, you know, three months ago we did this. And, you know, you came with 90 percent of your PR or even got a PR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. It's just you can't do that day in and day out. That's yeah. the thing that people forget because it's it's all accumulative too. If you just always pull the plug on them when they're feeling bad, oh, that could be a yeah. bad. No, thing. right. Yeah. Well, either so, <laughs> right. So, you know. It takes a lot of wisdom. I, there's an old Asian quote about you know beware the kindly grandmother that says maybe you should just stay home today, honey. You oh. know. Because that could be, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean about wisdom. You got to have someone help you make that, that tough decision, you know? Yeah. Um, Now, uh, what's insidious to me is that the psychological stress or the exhaustion that you can get from a desk job, it's not the same thing. You know, uh, I, that there was a book I read years ago. I like cover to cover. It was Kenta or Kelman or one of those recovery researchers um, and lots of, you know, obviously very literature based kind of book. Uh, published studies and whatnot, and they were suggesting that life events, stressful events, like you were talking about, whether it's like a death in the family or it's a move or a new job or these things, people are going to respond very differently. It's a complex system, of course, but you know these things can lower your overtraining threshold badly. What I find most insidious is how exhausted I can be at the end of like a an eight or nine hour desk job day. You know. Um, all of us, we deal with this huge spectrum of personalities, which can be really exhaustive sometimes, you know, uh, and everybody's always looking to us to say, now what, what's the plan? What's the fix? You know, and that, that kind of stuff can be very, very stressful. I think, let me just interject one thing about like nutritional type things, but most of what I do supplement wise is anti-inflammatory or anti-stress in some ways. Like there's some really cool studies that uh, some you know moderately high dose fish oil uh, intake can reduce the adrenal response, you know, like the cortisol response to emotional stress and things like that. So I take my fish oils. I take, you know, I'm taking four thousand IU's of vitamin D. Normally I take two thousand, but this time of year and with with viruses running all over, I I doubled that, and that's very reasonable. That's not super high. But, you know, again, anti-inflammatory type things, curcumin and things like that, just to try to reduce stress and inflammation. Um, maybe that's true of a lot of our lifters, but, you know, somebody's eating up like you do, Phil, uh, or did. I, I don't think you're going to keep doing that forever. But, you know, a lot of those foods are not exactly – I mean, it's just time to take in the calories, and you can't always yeah. say, I'm not going to eat that because it might be pro-inflammatory, you know. Um, you just kind of eat. Yeah, there's a lot of times we can't do that. And, uh, I mean, like the topic you're getting onto. I mean, there's it's a couple things. It you know, getting people to understand that stress is stress, and people handle it different. But I mean, your body can only handle so much stress, no matter what it is, physical or mental or whatever. So, and it's all going to beat you up in the same way. It's all going to affect your training. But then it's the individual as well. I have people that. You know, they have a stressful day at work, and that negatively affects their training. And then I have other people that have a stressful day at work, and all they've thought about all day is, I'm going to go in and I'm going to own the freaking gym. Right. It's the yeah. thing I can, yeah. you know, and they use that as the opposite. They use it as fuel instead of something that's that's a negative. Um, 
so it's learning what that is you know what each person is that way like oh they had a bad day at work that means they're gonna crush it today <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um so it's tough and then you know another thing i like to do personally and i try and get my clients to do is when life gets crazy like right now for me it's always crazy this time of year um i know my training's not going to be the greatest i know life's going to be stressful everybody likes control so i try to get them to you know most people will binge eat and crap when things get stressful let's do the opposite we know we can control at least what goes in our mouth let's concentrate on that you know we know we can't train our hardest we know we can't do this because life is just jacked up right now so let's control the one thing we can you know let's put some vegetables and meat in your mouth instead of cookies and french fries (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and at least we can win there you know, it's not that hard to do. And it doesn't have to be dieting low-cal, just plenty no. plenty of the whole food stuff, you know. Just good stuff. You know, let's yeah. at least control that. Um, and this is the time of year where everybody usually does the opposite of that. I, and I don't know why. For some reason, I've always, that's holiday season. I'm going to do the opposite. It's time for Phil to lose weight. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, right. I, you know, it's summertime's coming up. I'm going to go for that summer ad 30 pounds. You know, I'm going to do the opposite of everybody else. It's barbecue season. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's also when I'm more relaxed, generally, and I can train harder, and, you know, it's warm, my joints feel good. You know, come this time of year, it's like, oh, shit, training hurts. So I control my diet more. I, you know, things like that. It's just learning that cycle in yourself and your clients. Yeah. So, so, so much of this stuff is mental. Uh, yeah. Now, I would suggest, because sleep is so important and that, uh, there are a, a huge number of free MP3 files or YouTube channels that do stuff like progressive muscle relaxation, you know, where you squeeze a muscle and then release and then you kind of do it through your whole body. That kind of stuff, I found, it helps me get to sleep, especially if I did have some caffeine to get through a workout. Normally, the exercise helps you metabolize some of that caffeine, but it's still good to be able to do some of these relaxation things or mindfulness meditations or breathing. And Mike, I know you do some breathing exercises and um, what do you recommend for that kind of stuff to try to, you know, reduce the impact of work stress so it doesn't wreck your training? Yeah. I usually find like Phil, some people do better with it. And those people, I have to watch out for the (laughs) long-term accumulated effects Uh, Other people acutely don't do as well. So for those people, my general rule of thumb is leave everything as scheduled. If you can switch out today for an aerobic day, maybe tomorrow, that might be okay. The other option is just cut your volume by half. So we're leaving the intensity, the exercise selection, everything else the same. Yeah, yeah. So if it's a strength adaptation we're looking for, it's not really going to harm it that much. And then if you wrote, I write everything in kind of a progressive disclosure. So if you only get through the A exercises that day, if we're doing higher volume, cool, that's fine. The rest of the accessory stuff was important in the long term, but acutely, you know, not as important as your main exercises. And like what you were saying, Lonnie, with sleep, I found that I, if I can get good quality sleep long enough, and I find that if I get to bed earlier and get up a little bit earlier, Man, I can buffer a lot of stress, <laughs> like pretty good. But if my sleep starts going off the rails, yeah, one or two days, I'm I'm okay. You kind of got to make it through. But by that third or fourth day, it's it's really hard. So for clients I know who are going to be chronically stressed, I'm going to look more at their sleep, not necessarily 
times. You know, I have aura data on people and a bunch of other metrics, but just simple stuff like getting sunlight exposure in the morning, try to turn the lights down lower, do something more relaxing. You know, a real simple thing for breath work is just take a nice, slow, longer exhale. It's going to acutely increase parasympathetic tone. And those things added up over time make it pretty helpful. And with Aura and measures, I can then look at that on a weekly basis so they know that I have an accountability factor also. And that does acutely help them with compliance because trying to get people to sleep more is, uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely a long, long-term project. Yeah, it's um, ironic too because I think we've all agreed in the past that's one of the most important factors to, oh, tr- yeah. to recovery, and yet it's the one that's hardest to get people just to go to bed before frickin' midnight, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just Yeah, and then they end up in that kind of, we have a client now who, he's like, oh, I need to take naps during the day, and now I can't sleep at night, and it's like, well, maybe you need to get your butt outside and get some sunlight into your eyeballs mm-hmm. in the morning, suck it up for a couple of days so that when you actually go to bed earlier, you're tired and can go back to sleep and get back on somewhat of a normal schedule. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's the downward spiral of, oh, I slept in late, I hit snooze four times, I drank two cups of coffee, took two naps during the day, and it's 9 p.m. I'm supposed to go to bed and I can't sleep, so right. now I'm up to 1 a.m. again, and it's just yeah, the yeah. perpetuating cycle that gets harder to break. Well, and I mean, like... There's also evidence out there now that you can catch up. Give yourself yeah, at least a few days a week yeah. where you can just sleep. And that's I know I'm going to have days where it's like, okay, I'm going to be running on low. and mm-hmm. But I purposely plan in other days where it's like, I'm just going to sleep until I wake up. And that's okay. You know? Uh, and, and those days help. And then, you know, I've also, like you guys talked about, forced myself. There's three days a week where it's like, okay, guys, it's 830. I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, I feel like I'm 60, but hey, man, I got to do it. I got to be up at four. Totally, you know? totally. And it's uh, you guys can stay up and watch TV. I'm out. You know? Yep. And I've been doing a, uh, I've been doing a lot of talking books to go to bed, uh, real low, and I make sure it's something that I've listened to before, so I'm not mm. thinking it's like I already know it. Yes. Nice. And it'll just play, and then I, I don't, I'm not concentrating on it. Cause it's like, oh, I know this story, and <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, because I'm one of those people that has that problem that if I'm going to stay awake, it's because my brain won't shut up. Right on. Mm -hmm. About all this racing thoughts. I I need to do this. I need to do that. So I got to get something to turn my mind, you know, and I'll just listen to that and I'm out, man. Yeah, I think that's a common problem that, you know, you you need some kind of technique that works for you to shut down that internal dialogue that becomes exhaustive. You know, like I've got to shut this down. That's why the breathing stuff is good. Or I would I would encourage listeners do a Google search or YouTube search for like autogenic training. You know where the per, basically you just find someone with the right tone of voice and they're 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 saying you know over and over my arms are heavy and warm my legs are heavy and warm but it's almost like you're talking about the audiobook kind of thing like it's if you find someone with the right tone of voice maybe it's a female or a male voice or whatever. Yeah. Um, I always like the progressive muscle relaxation stuff from a bodybuilding perspective because it has the added side effect of teaching you muscle control. You know, like the the simple way to think about this is if you squeeze your one fist or both, then you squeeze it tighter, like maximal tight, and then release it just halfway. Then release it completely. Like you're actually really mind in the muscle kind of practice. And I think the average person, they either it's on or off. Squeeze the muscle or don't. 
But what about yeah. halfway? What about re re relax at three quarters of the way, but keep that little bit of tension, you know? And it's interesting to kind of explore that difference between a very tense, contracting muscle and one that's completely just limp and sagging off the bone, you know, kind of thing. And so there are a lot of things that, you know, different kinds of things are going to work for different people, I think. Um, but in the long run, whether it's breathing and mindfulness or all these different techniques, um, yeah, it, it's proactive. It's a proactive way to, like Mike was saying, sort of engage some parasympathetic nervous system activity uh, and to help balance out whatever you did during the day that was just lighting your adrenal glands on fire, you know, and making you so fight or flight, you know, you've got to balance that out somehow. So, yeah, big thing I do too is having some type of AM routine and some sort of bookend to the end of the day, which I'm actually working on getting a little bit better. I'm pretty good at the morning stuff, the PM stuff, not as good. And having my day prepared for tomorrow, like having the desk organized and my list of what I'm going to work on and any other notes that are kind of running through my brain, just put them down on paper so that way I'm not laying there thinking of the things I didn't get done or need to get done or just the fancy word is distributed cognition. Just write it down. Yeah. No, that's good. And I'll admit lately I've been so – I've been running on – like Phil says, you could get away with it for a while. You know, I'm running on like four hours or four, let's say four to six hours sleep. And honestly, when I was younger, I had some of my best leg PR days after a night of like five or six hours. Uh, I don't know why. Like we say, it's complex system kind of thing. But when it happens week after week, one of my colleagues uh, just kind of broke down the other day. I mean, I, teachers in many ways are frontline workers, right? We're, oh, yeah. we're confronted with, you know, let's say about 100 different students a week. I'd say maybe a quarter of my students are positive COVID or quarantined or whatever, maybe a third. Um, so you're stressed out all the time. You're having to constantly do all this problem solving. You've got some certain bad actors taking advantage. You know, they say, you know, the old quote, never let a, a crisis go to waste. So people are kind of gaming the system here and there. And uh, and just, yeah, uh, this person just started crying. Um, just like I, I just – it's not enough sleep. It's too much thing. One on the other on the other. You know, you stack these things up. I think people can be resilient with one or two or three things, but people keep – they give you that eighth or ninth ball to keep in the air, and you just have a little breakdown, you know. Yeah. Uh, and being proactive with some type of recovery, I think it's just as important with uh, emotional and psychological stress from work as it is with, you know, like exhaustive exercises. Yeah, yeah with – very little sleep, you end up reverting back to being a two or three year old because your prefrontal cortex is like, screw this, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Emotional regulation, all this other control limbic system, I'm done, screw it. Right. <laughs> limbic system runs wild. Yep. Well, and then it's so individual again as well because, like you're talking about with the, the balls in the air, I am admittedly one of those people that want to have like 16 balls in the air. Mm hmm. But the minute you add number 17 and 18, I'm in trouble. It's like I love running on that razor's edge, and that's where I'm best. But once I step over that, which I have a tendency to do, it's like, oh, no, this is bad. Yeah. And, it's, and some people don't. It's okay if, like, you're a, a six-ball person. You just need to figure that out. You know, and let's quit taking on more balls, you know, right. if you can. Too many projects, so, too many. Yeah. 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 
I think so. it, what what you're kind of describing there is you, you know you you run like you said Razor's Edge. There's there's not a lot of reserve capacity because no. you're operating at such a high level. You know. Yeah. You know, but I love that, and I do my. I know I do my best when I load myself um, in life, but in training and everything. But the minute I, I have to be careful because the minute I take one more step, we automatically go into trouble. Some. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, no, I, I hear you. you. Can be proactive when you have periods of time where you know work or other things are going to be a little bit lighter. You can spend more time kind of doing the working in stuff like uh more cardiovascular aerobic based training you know more breathing work i like flexibility doing, you know cold water heat um there's different things you can do to kind of target those homeostatic regulators and allow them to be more adaptive to different stressors so in addition to you know maybe trying to modify some of the stressors when you're in it but like phil was saying if you know your fall season is like your busiest season maybe taking part of summer to do more of those things mm-hmm. to build up that resiliency, that capacity, making sure you're not in a sleep debt when you enter a more stressful period. Yeah. And it's going to go a lot better too. Yeah. I like what you said too. Like, yeah, hot and cold, like water or sauna or yeah. that kind of stuff. It's, it's an acute physical stressor, but I think psychologically, like you, you leave that reset, you know, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to feel that yeah. kind of stuff. So. Yeah, and obviously I did a whole doing a course on it, but it, the mechanisms on it are like super fascinating too. Because even in people who are not trained, uh, heat like sauna triggers a lot of the same responses as exercise or similar, I should say, adaptations. Uh, but it looks like some of the underlying mechanisms are a little bit different too. So there's a super cool study with heat and exercise that hasn't been reproduced in humans that I can find anywhere, at least in in trained humans. Um, But because they're targeting different uh, mechanisms underlining, you may get a little bit uh, better result from it too. So if you're doing like some light cardiovascular work and it's in a warm environment, maybe you get some other benefit from it or just adding it in addition. So you did all your exercise, like you said, Lonnie, you're just hanging out in the sauna, doing some breathing stuff for five to ten minutes. I think there's a lot of other additional benefits there too that uh, help increase your sort of recovery ability, which is a it's a made up term, but people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, right on. Okay, well, I think that's a pretty good. I mean, it's not comprehensive, but and there's a lot of mechanisms. You're right. Like when it comes to the you know sauna or the cold bath, hot cold contrast showers, whatever. What I, I always thought that was actually neat because of a you get the stressor, but there's not a huge efferent output. Like it's not neural drive yep. that causes it. It's a, it's an external stressor, but it's causing similar responses in the body, elevated heart rate and vasodilation or whatever. And it, that's cool stuff, man. So that's a lot yeah. of stuff we cover. It's, it's harder to overdo also. I mean, obviously you don't want to go in an environment that's too hot and that type of thing can be really bad. But if you listen to your body, like it's a such a what I've seen is such a different stressor. It's almost recoverative, right? So like the opposites are probably helping. If you're always doing super hard one RM stuff, yeah, doing some light zone two cardio, go for a walk, that type of thing is probably going to be helping with recovery, even though you're quote unquote doing more work. It's yeah. also just different. Yeah, you're. It's like you're below a threshold, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, good stuff, everybody. I hope that has some gold nuggets for at least some of you listeners. Uh, and I guess we'll catch up with you next week. See you next week. See you. Ooh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, right. We'll see you oh, yeah. After happy that. Turkey Day. So eat lots of food. So. <laughs> Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.